Well, today's guest was um, really fun to talk with. And in fact, he wins the prize uh, from someone to tell it to for the uh, person we've interviewed who lives furthest away from us here in Pennsylvania. In fact, he is from pretty much all the way around the world, Sydney, Australia. And uh, it was really fun to talk with someone so far away and someone with whom we also just have so much in common when it comes to our love of and our belief in the power of listening. This interview was unlike any interview we've had previously as well, because Oscar had this way of truly engaging us in conversation. In fact, before we even press record, he asked us, what would you like to see happen in this interview? And we said, we just like it to be relational and conversational. And he did exactly that. Uh, so much so that he actually he actually asked us most of the questions in the interview. And so it, it, that was just neat. That was, was a different opportunity for us. And, and we're grateful to have the conversation. We always have a list of questions that we hope to ask or, you know, ask from uh, during every interview. And we never ask them all. And it depends how the interview goes. And we ask other questions in response to what people say. But I think in this one was one of the one of the interviews where we least used <laughs> our questions. Uh, because yeah, it was just a really neat conversation. And with him asking us as many questions or more questions than we asked him, um, we didn't need our questions so much. Uh, so we hope you're going to enjoy this one because it, it really was a lot of fun for us to do. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing uh, before we read his introduction here, just so you can know a little bit more of Oscar's story. We lately have been asked to do more interviews where we're on the other side of the microphone, which has been neat. Uh, we just had an interview with one of our former guests on the podcast, Rick, Raquel Ark from Germany. And for those of you who, who would like to tune into that episode, you can learn more about her. I think it was called Listening in Business. And we had a lot of good response to that episode. And then we just were on, we, a few weeks ago, we uh, had the chance to be on her, her podcast called Listening Alchemy. So you could find that through her website, listeningalchemy.org or .com. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to sharing that. So another interview that we've been asked to participate in is, a, is an, a YouTube live interview. And you can find that on our social media channels as well. So Oscar Trimboli is an author, speaker, host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening. He is passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in homes, workplaces, and cultures around the world. Oscar has experienced firsthand the transformational impact leaders and organizations can have when they listen beyond the words. He believes that leadership teams need to focus their attention and their listening on building organizations that have impact and create powerful legacies for the people they serve. Today, and more importantly, for future generations. Oscar lives in Sydney, Australia with his wife, Jenny, where he helps first-time runners and ocean swimmers conquer their fears and works to end cancer as part of the cancer research charity, CAN2. Welcome, Oscar, to the Summer of the Tell 2 podcast. So good to have you join us today. G'day Tom, g'day Michael, looking forward to listening to your questions. So is it true it's six o'clock in the morning, if we're correct? Yes, yeah, I'm an early riser, so it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> 4.45 is my kind of standard 
wake up time and when you're on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world you know the east coast usa time is the starting point for all of that and you finish up on london time so yeah this evening is a is uh, finishing up on London time with a meeting at 8 p.m. Sydney time, but uh, I'm I'm always in bed by by 10 o'clock. So you know, me and sleep are really important business partners yeah. because if I don't sleep well, I don't perform well. I'm not useful for those I serve. So uh, yeah, I got to listen to the body. Well, we're we'll be honest. Both of us are both early risers, but doing an interview at six o'clock in the morning probably not what we would self-select for ourselves but so we applaud you for uh, for doing that with us today no problems we're yeah we're not sure if we're as articulate at that time of the day as we would like to be but uh we applaud you uh for doing this at this time and for um you know for for being so willing thank you looking forward to it so that's uh, a good place to start for, for our conversation together. What inspires your passion about the gift of listening and getting yourself up at six o'clock in the morning to talk about this topic? Look, in 2012, I was sitting in a very complex budget setting meeting between our head office in Seattle, uh, regional office in Singapore and and Sydney in Australia and there were 18 people over the video conference and it wasn't going very far and at the 20 minute mark the vice president of our local business looked me straight in the eye and said Oscar I need to speak to you straight after this meeting and the only thing that was going through my head Tom is hmm, how many weeks of salary have I got left because surely I'm going to get fired <laughs> and and in that moment, I went, I'm going to get fired and I don't even know what I did. So the meeting finished. It was about a 90-minute long meeting. And Tracy asked me to close the door as everybody left. So I certainly knew it was going to be one of those pivotal kind of meetings. And she said, you don't even know what you did at the 20-minute mark. And I, the only thing going through my head was, I'm getting fired and I don't even know why. This is great. <laughs> and uh, Tracy said something very profound in the moment, but I, I didn't think anything of it. All I thought about was oh, I'm not getting fired. She said to me, if I could code the way I listen, I could change the world. And the only thing that I could blurt out of my mouth at the time was, um, Tracy, do you mean code or code code? And she said, no, Oscar, code, because I worked at Microsoft and we wrote software so she meant to code and eventually I will um, that's one of the things I'd love to do is to build a listening app to help people in the workplace to listen beyond the words so that passion was a fire ignited by somebody else and I often think it's not my idea it's just the idea that's coming through me and it's my responsibility to explore how far I can take the idea for the rest of my life and beyond, because I didn't start off with wanting to create 100 million deep listeners in the world either. Somebody said to me, you know, you should put a number on that, Oscar. And I said, oh, yeah, 100,000. And they looked me straight in the eye, Tom, and said, well, come back next month and add a zero. And my head exploded. It's like, how can you go from a hundred thousand to a million? That's impossible. Anyway, I came back next month and Matt said, uh, like I hardly said uh, four sentences. He said, 
add a zero come back next month and i put my hand in my head and i just went oh matt how many months are we going to do this for he said if you can achieve it in your lifetime it's not ambitious enough mm. and i thought hmm so you know for me 100 million deep listeners may or may not be achieved in my lifetime but it's about a multi-generational quest to get people to listen to each other just a little bit more you use the phrase listening beyond words in mm. your response there you've also written about that listening beyond words would you tell our viewers and our listeners what deep listening is and what listening beyond words means to you mm. well there's a great body of literature, which is the active listening movement started in the 70s and exploited in the 80s and, you know, very famous in the 90s. And they do a great job of listening to what's said. But the neuroscience teaches us some very basics about we speak between 125 to 150 words a minute, but we can think it up to a thousand. So the likelihood that the first thing somebody says is what they mean, is about 11%. So most people are having a conversation with 11% of what people think and wonder why there's confusion, there's conflict, and there's chaos. And my passion for beyond the words is there's much more to what people think and what they mean than what they say the first time. Rarely do we send a very complex email with the first couple of words we type. We often edit it and we change the way we present the idea. But when we speak, we're kind of publishing as we go. And thoughtful listeners aren't listening to what's said alone. That's what active listening is about. Deep listening is listening to what's not said. And for me, I think the dirty little secret of listening for me is it's not my job to make sense of what they're saying. It's my job to help them make sense of what they're thinking. And if they can explore and say out aloud those other 125 words or maybe get it up to 300 words because the mind is kind of like a, a washing machine for clothes. It's, it's in wash cycle. It's, it's dirty. It's sudsy as it's processing an idea. It's agitated. It's moving around, but it's not actually making progress. And the act of speaking and somebody witnessing that by listening it's kind of like the rinse cycle for the mind. And when we say it out aloud, quite often we'll say things like, hmm. Or if you just pause a little longer, sometimes they'll go, hmm. You know what, Michael, now that I've thought about it, uh, what's really important to me is, and often they'll sigh and, and their body will express itself in a completely different state. Or their eyes will look up and they go, hmm, actually, there's a phrase to listen for when people get to the next 125 words or get to what they actually mean. So for me, deep listening is, yeah, you can listen to what they say immediately. But the skill is just being in that place long enough to get them to get out of their head what they really think rather than what they say the first time. And it's that part of listening, the deep part of listening that I think is transformational. That's an impact beyond words because finally that 
counterpart gets to connect with what they mean, not just what they say. That word actually, that's, that makes a lot of sense. We hear that a lot too. And you realize that that is in many cases, in many ways, a turning point in, in a conversation, a turning point in what someone is saying that they're really getting then to the heart, much mm -hmm. more to the heart of the matter. Mm. And that, that is an important word. So thank you for reminding us of that and clarifying that too. Yeah. First off, we'll say that we, we, can't speak highly enough about your book, Deep Listening. We've utilized it several times. We do a lot of work in healthcare and it's come up in our training work several times. And uh, we, we're constantly encouraging other people to, uh, to join your movement. So, and, uh, and our movement uh, collaboratively here. Um, yeah. One of the things early in the book, you, you state every human craves most is to be heard. Mm. And how does that relate to deep listening? I think in being heard, people are noticed. I think in being heard, people get to express that essence of what they think about the idea or themselves. And it's rare. Many people don't have the opportunity, the situation, somebody else to witness what they want to express on a particular topic. And I think it's that rarity that people often comment to me. And I, sometimes I giggle to myself because people say, oh, wow, you know, that was amazing what you did. And I sit there and, and I'm thinking to myself, I'll say, thank you. But in my head, it's like, you did it all. I wonder how long you've been holding that thought inside you that you want to kind of get out because sometimes that idea is holding them back. Sometimes that idea is a really big step change for them in terms of growth. Uh, sometimes that step change is just a release from the past. And I think if we just take the time to let people be heard so much potential is released whether that's releasing them from what's holding them back or exploding into the next vision of what's possible with their idea you know for me if you go back to that story where tracy listened to me listening i know it sounds a bit kind of weird mm -hmm. But if she didn't listen to the way I was listening to the room, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have changed my career trajectory. I wouldn't have kind of figured out, oh, I need to write a book. Oh, I need to be having a chat at 6 a.m. <laughs> to Tom and to Michael, you know. So, so, so for me, I think because listening is the very first thing you do at, at 20 weeks inside your mother's womb you're, you're able to distinguish her voice from any other sound in the outside world and, and at 34 weeks you can distinguish music you can distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi from Justin Bieber and it's that it's the very first thing we learn it's innate it, it is our birthright 
And yet the minute we come into the world, the very act of birth is about screaming. <laughs> That's when you get the time on the birth certificate is the minute you make noise because you know you're alive then. And we spend the rest of our lives kind of screaming to get noticed. But to be noticed, you need somebody to witness it. You can't just scream out aloud all the time. And by screaming, I just mean talking. By screaming, I mean saying something repetitively that somebody's trying to fix rather than just listen to. By screaming, I mean saying things that might be against the current cultural norms and you're frustrated about that. That's what I mean when we come kicking and screaming into the world. So that need to be heard is what makes us human. That story that you described about Tracy reminded me of a, a story that I told in our first book. And Michael's heard this countless times over. I, I had an internship on Wall Street. I was a public relations major in college. And it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. And, you know, it was a pretty prestigious internship for a college student to be working on Wall Street at a public relations firm. And I was getting paid a lot of money. Uh, I lived in New Jersey at the time and I would take the ferry over and kind of give a wave to the Statue of Liber Liberty on the ferry every morning. Um, and, and it was a, you know, a very promising trajectory for my career, but it was, I quickly realized it just was not a good match for who, who I am and who my personality and what I, I hope to accomplish in my life. And I had a supervisor one afternoon. I always had to catch the 5.30 ferry. Otherwise, I had to wait uh, for probably another hour, hour and a half to catch the 6.30 or 7 o'clock ferry. And it would make for a very late night and then an early morning the next day. And she allowed me to leave uh, on time the one day. And she quickly followed me to the elevator. And we were up on maybe let's say the 40th or 50th floor of a high rise. And she hops in the elevator with me and takes the elevator all the way down to the bottom floor with me and looks me in the eye. And she says, what are you doing here? Not in like a condescending way, but in earnest wanting to know uh, what, what it is that I, I envisioned for my life and for my career. She could just sense that something was a bit off, even though I was doing a fine job with the test that they had, they had uh, given me. And, and she just truly heard what was on my heart. And it, like you, it changed the trajectory of my, my career and, and my life in a lot of ways, because I came back to, to college and I changed my degree. Uh, I got a business minor. I still focused on public relations, but it just was a very different, uh, a different trajectory. And so when people truly hear those things, that are, are often unsaid and they can just read it. It, it, it can, it can really change somebody's life. Mm. I'm, I'm curious about the role of listening in public relations when it's done well, because we see it done when it's done poorly, it's just a, a broadcast mechanism of a repetitive slogan. Given, given your history, I'm, I'm just fascinated about where you've seen public relations use listening to adjust and to craft something that's appropriate and a two-way dialogue rather than a one-way broadcast. 
Yeah, we've said early on that we want our work to be because good listening is relational and it's not transactional. Uh, transaction is like an ATM where you're going and you're you're feeding somebody else something and you're just getting a receipt in, in return. Whereas our work and good listening revolves around truly connecting on an intimate level with people. So it's a, it's a two-way conversation. It's a two-way interaction. And, uh, and so I think our mission has grown in the last almost nine years since we started Someone to Tell To because we want to be genuine. We want to be authentically who, who we are. And so if we say that we're about creating relationships, then we want to earnestly create relationships, which is, is not one-sided. And so we want, we want, we say that, uh, you know, there are so many different definitions for, for listening, but I know one of the definitions we often use is that listening is, is about creating a, a, a two-way relationship. And, uh, and so we, we just, we want to enter into those relationships uh, authentically, earnestly. We want to be known as we want other people to be known. And so that's a two-way conversation. Do, do you think it's possible in an organizational context like that with PR, if, if listening is relational and you've got these big systems, a PR firm, maybe it's working for a big Wall Street client and all of that. And it is it possible for public relations and organizations to listen to each other? Or is it ultimately human? I'm, I'm curious. I absolutely think it doesn't matter what your career is. Uh, good listening is necessary in every sector of society. And we, it's something that, that is, I think we've learned that some people just inherently are better listeners. They just have the DNA. They're wired that way. But I think... I think the point of this conversation today and all of our podcasts is that we can grow to be better listeners. And so I think um, getting back to this definition that I described a moment ago about the goal of listening to, to know and be known, I think there's always more to learn about other people. And so if it, whether it's public relations or sales or marketing, if you're earnestly wanting to know your customers or your clients or whoever you're interacting with on a given day, uh, there's always more to know. So it, it comes down to, to, uh, to growing as a listener, to, uh, to foster greater relationships. And Michael, feel free to, to add to that. But uh, now I'm only oh, speaking from my experiences in public relations. Yeah. And no, I was curious at the look on Michael's face when I posed the question that was kind of, it's very quizzical, Michael, when I yeah, posed the question. It was. I just think, wow, that's a. I thought it was a great question, and I'm, like, I'm not quite sure if I know how if I would know how to answer it. But as as I hope I'm listening well, and as 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 well as I'm thinking, I, I do think that it, it it begins with individuals that we have that that those of us individually, you know, it's important that we are curious it's important that we are interested and 
when we are curious and interested in others, how they feel, what they think, what they like, what they don't like, um, and we, 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 when we're curious and we, we can learn more about people. And mm. I think if we do that, then as, you know, as individuals who are part of an organization, if we practice that with, with one another, the organization then can, or the firm, the company can, I would like to think if we're truly listening, be more receptive, more understanding, more, um, more in tune with what people need, what, with what they want, what, what, what they're asking for. So I, I think organizations can listen <laughs> and need to listen or otherwise what they're providing, whatever service it is that they're providing uh, to the world, the service won't be the best it can be if we don't it's transactional yeah it's more transactional it's so but i think it begins with individuals believing that we need to listen in order to provide the very best service product or knowledge that we can mm. so and, i think i think the tension that i wrestle with is that when i when i go into organizations and do this work and maybe you don't so maybe maybe there's something i can learn from from you the tension is that people operate in a system that has culture and rules and boundaries and systems and processes that none of which support listening it doesn't reward listening it doesn't promote listening there's there's a whole bunch of counterintuitive things that when you work with an organization and you start to get them to explore the cost of not listening as an example um, very quickly, they come to realize that these, these things are things that are promoted in the organization. And you, you just look at the investments and um, we'll stay with public relations inside an organization. Um, you know, the dollars they invest in getting a media release out versus not just researching, which researching is a really good way of hearing, but listening is taking action based on research. And I always say, you know, they research their employees. What, what do we need to change? And most times employees just say, do what we asked you in last year's employment survey. Or the customers will say, do what you, we asked you to do in the last um, product survey. And if it doesn't happen, there seems to be much fewer consequences than the systems that measure how much media coverage we get as an example. So I'm just curious if the organized people who you work with have this tension in the organizations they work in where, yeah, yeah, it's good to talk about listening, but ultimately it's the best speakers that get rewarded, not the best listeners. Um, we definitely hear that and experience that and are frustrated by that. And there's a tension there. Uh, I think we see part of our job, part of our, our mission is to help people and ultimately organizations to value listening as, as a means first to provide better service. And, and it also, if we get to the practical matters of it, it helps the bottom line. I mean, if, if an organization is helping to meet people's needs, their true needs, not their perceived needs necessarily, but the, the needs that, that, that are real, be, 
because they've heard what they are. We, we think, you know, the, the bottom line financially is better. And so we try to appeal to businesses, organizations like, you know, with, with that, at least partially to, to help them to realize that listening is so important, but you're right that most company cultures, organizational cultures do not value it the way it needs to be valued. But we hear, for instance, we just use an example of healthcare. We do a lot of work in healthcare organizations. Mm. We hear a lot from patients, you know, of health healthcare organizations that they've not been listened to, mm-hmm. that they haven't been heard, what they're, what they're really feeling, what, what they're going through, what they fear. And that their, their concerns are often not heard. And you know, part, our, part of our role with healthcare organizations is to implore them to, to understand and realize that listening to their patients is very, very important and makes a huge difference in the, in the way patients then feel and react mm-hmm. and their family members too, their loved ones. So. Um, but that's a brilliant example because for me, it's like, yeah, it's obvious. And I know the research tells us that, a medical professional that listens is five times less likely to get sued for malpractice than one that doesn't. But tell me where the systems you work with are valuing that as opposed to measuring, you know, the time between patient, you know, they're reducing consistently the amount of time they're spending in a patient dialogue. That's where I'm kind of dancing with this tension going, the systems forcing people to speak less and dialogue less, and yet the evidence is like, what do, what do we need to do as professionals to do a better job of giving the evidence to these people? So what is it that we're not listening to to promote? The power of listening is what I'm kind of dancing with right now in this conversation. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Pensy. We are volunteers at Wonders Found Thrift Shop and proud sponsors of the Someone to Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wonders found, or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless. One question that we'd have for you that I think would be helpful for us even in response to that is what does not listening cost us organizationally and personally? Mm. Yeah, it's like employees leave before they want to. Customers go to the competitors. Projects run over schedule. Projects run over budget. Projects 
land on time and on budget, yet they don't deliver what was originally asked for. Uh, the cost of not listening in the workplace is consistently lack of productivity, lack of engaged employees. Mm -hmm. And yet every leader that you speak to in a one-on-one -on -one situation will knowingly nod at this point and go, yeah, I know that's true. And yet my, my key metrics, my dashboard, my PL, none of the, you know, they're not rewarded for that. In fact, the, Tom, they're rewarded for transactional dialogues. They're not rewarded for relational dialogues. So I guess I'm, I'm just speculating that what, what is it we need to listen to professionally to do a better job to share the impact of listening for them? Because right now, um, when you search on Google, people search a hundred times more for speaking training than listening training. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a really, and that, that's true across all cultures, by the way, that's not just Western cultures. So uh, th there is a, a systemic bias to, towards communication equals speaking and, and transactions matter the, more than relationships, you know whether that transactions for a vote or, or, or the transactions for an order or the transactions, your employment contract. I think, I think there's probably more I can do at least to give voice to that because the, the people I work with crave it and yet struggle in that system. That's whether that's public sector systems, whether that's commercial systems whether that's for purpose systems that they're, they're all struggling with that so i'm not expecting an answer i'm just just curious of whether you encounter similar issues well we we do um one of the one of the very simple things we've talked about these things and written about them as well but they they they, they continue to crop up and one of the things we hear sometimes someone you know they ask what we do and we try to explain it and says oh so you just listen and we hate the word just because it implies something, it, it diminishes it. And so that's mm. all you're doing. And as, as if listening is easy, as if it doesn't take a lot of energy and a lot of, a lot of intentionality. Mm. And um, so that we hear that and that's, that frustrates us. We, we, we had an example about two years ago where we spoke to a, group, a healthcare organization, a group of 50 doctors, nurses, and social workers in this organization. And we were talking about how to listen with compassion and with intentionality. And one of the doctors in the audience raised his hand and said about how much he values that and works hard to spend time with people and not rush them through their, you know, the, their appointment and to really try to hear what, you know, to get to that word, he didn't say this, but in essence, that word actually, actually, this is how I, you know, that you had mentioned. And he seemed very sincere and very, and we loved that. There was a break then in the, um, 
in the presentation and the CEO of the organization, whose job it was not to see patients, but his job it was to answer to the board, whose job it was to look at the bottom line every day, whose job it was to, to, to assess the numbers, came up to us and said, that doctor and I, we go at it all the time. We, there's a tension between us. And I really have a problem with with him. And, and he said, you really, you guys really walked into it uh, today with this, with what you were just saying, because it, because it basically, it, it illuminated this tension that between those two. And, you know, it, it was hard to know what to say uh, to that. We listened uh, to the CEO and um, I'm not, I don't even remember, Tom, maybe you do how he responded. But all I, but what I do remember, so you know that that was his take on it. His part, his job was to look at the numbers. Bottom line, the doctor's job was to actually listen to the patients and help them to find the healing and the help they needed. We had the head doctor uh, of the organization then also come up to us afterward and say that basically what we were saying needs to be heard. And what she was, she was saying to us that there, there is a tension between the caregivers and between the, 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 the bottom liners and how to, you know, how to do their job. So yeah, we, we do run into this and, but we continue, you know, hoping against hope, I guess that, that we are conveying a message that seeps through we certainly hear that it does, especially to those who are giving care. But we've also heard it from the CEO types as well, those more in the administration who, you know, have a, you know, see some different things each day and have to answer to different people than the caregivers do. So it's, it's real and it's there, but we continue to try to put forth the message of how important it is and to live and to and to find a way through that tension. Because mm. the, the irony for me is to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. I've got to do that by speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And, and so do we. We have to do it by speaking, by writing. But our speaking and our writing is informed, we hope, by our listening. Mm. And we do a lot of telling the stories of people to whom we've listened and what we hear from them, what we learn from them and where those actually moments emerge and then what happens when they do. Yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, often we think about listening just as like, you know, two people in our interaction, but again, in these systems, there's a lot of team meetings where people don't even get the opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, off, often I'll, I'll say, say to a leader I'm observing, um, how, do, how do you think that meeting went? Oh yeah, it was awesome. And it's like, okay, how many people were in the meeting today? Well, there were 13. How, how many people spoke? Oh, 13? Uh, no, I was keeping track. How many people were speaking? And they said, uh, eight? I was like, try again. I said, there's four <laughs> people spoke in that meeting and you were one of the four. So three people were speaking mm -hmm. 
in the meeting what 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 did you miss out on it kind of reminds me of a, a meeting i was hosting 2016 and i always remember it was five to noon it was five to 12 and the ceo was kind of tapping on the table going you know pointing to the to the watch saying you know lunch is coming can we wrap it up and we were going through an exercise which was describe this organization as an animal and the room is uh, 12 men one woman and and the woman represented the finance function and they, they were an organization that were growing but they had stalled and they were all describing the organization as a an eagle or an osprey or some kind of bird of fast movement and swooping um, a seagull or some some kinds of things like that and we had heard from 12 of the 13 people when the CEO was staring at me with these laser beam eyes you know if it was a cartoon comic strip his laser eyes would have blown my head off because he was hungry and he wanted to eat and uh, I noticed uh, that one person hadn't spoken so I didn't ask her i didn't say what do you think or i just turned to her slowly and just gestured with my arm and slightly created this gap between me and the ceo so i was between him and her and she said i thought it was obvious and she stopped and I just extended my arm out a little bit more. I didn't make eye contact or anything like that. So one of the things you need to think about is your state as a listener, your, your body posture, where you stand, where you sit, how you conduct yourself is a tuning fork for their own speaking. You don't have to ask questions all the time, just your mere presence can be this tuning fork to get them to get this idea out. And Elaine said something that completely changed the tension in the room. The tension exploded. What she said next was, well, I thought we were a snake. What did she mean by that? Yeah. So when you hear snake, Tom, what are the characteristics and attributes you would immediately associate with a snake? Sly, um, cunning, mm. uh, probably not a whole lot of positive attributes. Yeah. Plus, Michael? you should ask you should ask Michael this question because he absolutely hates snakes. So, yeah, I am. <laughs> Michael, I'm you probably. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm squirming in my chair just uh, just having this this part of the conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I think well, snakes are cold, and uh, they are quiet, and they scare us when we come upon them. Often, I'll speak for myself. Sure. Um, um, I want to run and I retreat, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. Um, you know, so when I think of a snake, I, I think of, you know, I just personally think of nothing good. 
and and um and i know that they do have they they have a purpose and 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 attributes but um they're 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 tough for me (laughs) to to be around yeah and in western cultures one of the origin stories of religions is about the role of a snake to deceive humans it's one of the first stories you learn and if you're listening right now on the podcast michael and tom are nodding furiously right now (laughs) and the attributes that the snake has aren't positive Elaine's not from Western culture. Elaine's from the East. Elaine's from China originally. And, and snakes have a very different characteristics. And in fact, in, in a lot of communities, snakes are associated with, with healing. That's why for people who work in the healthcare profession, what is the symbol? Yeah, there's a snake. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a you're snake. Right. That's right. Yeah. So... I didn't say to Elaine, tell me more. I didn't say to Elaine, what do you mean? I just held that silence in that room because you could just see the tension dropping from the air conditioning ducts. That laser beam eyes in the back of my head from the CEO were getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I was holding that room because there was a truth about to be spoken and the room needed to hear it. Now, most rooms don't because they don't listen to the quiet people. Elaine said next, I think we're a snake and we've forgotten to shed our skin. Every season, our snakes shed our skin because that's what prepares them for the next season. And we have too many processes and systems from the past that aren't helping our customers in the future. A snake anticipates and we've forgotten how to do that and she went through this beautiful explanation of the positive attributes that she is associated with the snake and the room exploded into a conversation about snakes versus eagles and all this went on till 12 35 and the food hadn't even come into the room and the ceo closed by saying thanks elaine you've you've changed our minds and, and I think listening is the willingness to have your mind change. And from that point on, snakes became the code. They, they, they used snake names for code words in product development. They integrated snakes into their sales presentations. And the business returned from um, flat growth to growth that was 30 and 40%, which is what they had been enjoying previously. Now, that's not to say that you know, what I did was genius or anything else like that. In that moment, my body was telling me that I needed to be there to hear from everybody. But my sense is that CEO would regularly not pay attention to the quiet room voice in the room because they hadn't spoken up. And yet it became this really, really, really transformational event. And I remember 12.35 is when they actually started eating because they'd fully listened to each other, exposed the idea and and built an action plan. Now that meeting was due to finish at 5 p.m. on that day. Once lunch had concluded, I said, it sounds like we're ready to the action plan. And the meeting did an action plan and they were finished by 2 p.m. Not 5 p.m. 
not the original agenda because the room was ready to listen to itself and they got to the essence of what was holding them back because they listened to a voice that wasn't regularly heard. And I, I think that happens in workplaces all the time and it's the role of leaders to create an, a mindset of, am I willing to have my mind changed? And if I am, then I'll hear from all voices rather than just the voices that speak up. You know, one of the things in those team meetings is often people say, well, what do you think, Tom? And Tom is a card-carrying member of the introvert community. That is a guaranteed way to get a very superficial response from Tom. As opposed to, hey, Tom, as you've been listening, what haven't we explored so far? It's going to elicit a very different response from Tom. Or Tom, what are the patterns you're noticing in the conversation that maybe we aren't? Wow, that gets a very different response from people who, who are very thoughtful about how they express themselves. Often people ask me, well, how do we listen to the quiet ones in the room? And don't listen to them the same way you listen to the loud ones. And it's okay for the loud ones to go first, but also make sure you create systems and processes in meetings that make sure that you bring in all voices consistently. And it doesn't mean they all get equal time, but they do get heard. Both I'm, I'm loving this conversation right yeah, now. Me, me too. Because, yeah, I'm just thinking all kinds of things about this idea of the cost of not listening. The cost is just massive. We talk a lot about work culture in our training work and how we, we want to create a caring culture in the workplace where people's voices are being heard and people are being valued and well, well cared for. And we just have so many examples that I'm thinking about. Another one where we were in a, an organization, a healthcare organization, where we, we were the ones coming in to, to lead a training on listening. So you would think that we're kind of the experts coming in here and, and we have some hopefully valuable information, you know, to share with them. And uh, I see you're nodding your head, but this might go in a different direction that you're even thinking about because we had suggested one of the things we like to do is to create a context for, for deep listening to occur. And so we had prior to, to us coming in, talked with the, uh, the senior manager and the, the CEO about us coming in and and giving kind of the senior management an opportunity to tell essentially their side of the story, as well as lower level employees their side of the story. And so we could they could they could truly hear one another because they did not have a good work culture, and they actually told us no, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow you to do that. And, uh, and what does that say immediately about the work culture? It's not a very open culture if, if, if only the senior managers are the ones who have the final say on what gets talked about um, and how vulnerable are our lower level employees truly going to be with higher level employees if they're all in the same room and they're not given permission or the freedom to be able to talk about some of the 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 lessons that they're they've learned um you know i think one of the points we 
we try to make often is is using getting back to this other healthcare story we shared a few moments ago about the CEO and the head doctor is how there's always another side. And we we want to work with groups and organizations to help them hear one another. Because using that first example that Michael shared earlier, the CEO is having to make some really difficult decisions about growing the, the healthcare organization. And so they're he, in this case, it was a he, was about trying to um, secure more contracts and things like that. And so a lot of it comes down to census. And so for the, the doctor, he's, he's thinking on the, the flip side, well, I want to truly care for people and I want to spend as much time po- as possible. Whereas the, the CEO is thinking we need to get them in, in and out the door so we can secure, you know, have a higher census and, and get our numbers up so we can secure more contracts. And on his end, we were trying to help have the doctor understand that, like, you're getting a job because you're seeing a lot of patients. And so you you have a, a pretty uh, substantive salary because you're seeing a lot more people. So the, what we're, what I'm saying, though, is there's always another side. And, and so continuing to work so that everyone in the, the culture realizes there is a cost if, if they're not truly being heard. Mm. And, and in workshop situations, I, the very first thing I ask the room and I'm very deliberate about how I do this is I always ask the room by yourself, just answer this question and you can write as many or as few as you want. And, but they always do this exercise by themselves. What's the cost of not listening for you so they do the exercise by themselves and then they share it in groups of two or three so it's safe but there's a little bit of risk but there's a lot less risk than saying it in the room then the group of three will summarize the cost of not listening from that group and get the groups to build that up and all of a sudden the room is being listened to and nobody's being judged or no ideas being judged because it's the room, not an individual who's at risk. And I think too often leaders aren't elegant, skillful and deliberate in the way they listen because they just want, what do you think, Tom? What do you think, Michael? And not everybody's ready to tell you what they think because they don't feel that saying their idea out aloud is going to be productive. It's going to be safe. It's going to create an environment of productivity for the room. And yet in slowly building it up through yourself first, then a small group, a pairing or a triad, and then a room, all of a sudden you create this really powerful momentum in the room that that can't be argued against because it's not one person's idea it's it's built up as what's the room thinking and how are we listening to the room rather than judging one person's idea you know michael's always coming up with those harebrained things and 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 tom rarely kind of speaks up when he needs to but when he does it's worth listening to kind of comments that we make and and it's always you know, I always come back to the fundamentalism for me of, you know, 
you cannot listen to somebody else until you listen to yourself fully. And then too many people think about listening is about, you know, focus on the other person. And I would say that that's interesting, but it's not powerful. And I think not enough people take the time first before they go into a dialogue to listen to themselves. So they're available to listen to another idea. But too many of us have the last meeting in our head, uh, the fact we haven't had uh, lunch right now, the fact we've got to do something with the kids at school, or aging parents or whatever the thing is, too many of us have a radio station playing in our own mind about the conversation rather than being available. And for most of us, we don't do a great job of listening first to ourselves. And I think that's the platform that's fundamental to listening that most people just skip way over too fast. You're speaking to two card carrying introverts uh, right now, because we, we, we- No, you're not. If you were, you wouldn't admit it. We're, well, we, we, we are admitting it. <laughs> we, we, no, no. Do you get, you get an introvert would never say it out aloud? <laughs> if you were a card-carrying yeah. member of the introvert community, you never out yourself. <laughs> we're comfortable with who we are. Yeah. 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 So, I, th I think labels are really good on jars, not on people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but so we, I, we hope that we are more attuned and more sensitive to those who are introverted as well, mm. to those who are quieter, those who aren't speaking as much. Uh, because I think partially we know what it's like to have thoughts and ideas and opinions, but sometimes have a hard time, you know, we, we, we don't, we just don't say them as quickly. Uh, we need to be more deliberate about it. And, and if time's been overlooked, you know, <laughs> in, in, in group meetings, if time's been not heard or, or sometimes felt not valued. Mm. So we hope that we are, again, attuned to the, to, to the fact that the, the, whatever the room is, that will be made up of different kinds of people, introverts and extroverts, um, usually or in, yeah, more extroverts than introverts because introverts are a smaller group of people, but um, we know that they, they need to be heard and we, we sure try to, to, in, to, to listen and, and create a space where they can be. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what tips do you give managers and leaders? Because we leave the room eventually. How, how do we support managers and leaders to listen for that orientation continuously rather than just witnessing how skillfully you do it, Michael, in the room? <laughs> we hope we do it skillfully. But, um, what do we? I, I'm not even sure. Well, how we answer. talk about an awful lot about safety, Oscar. Mm. And I know that you talked about that in your, in your book a little bit and, and how, how vital it is for people to feel safe um, and especially for introverts in a group setting that their ideas will be taken seriously. And so it's up to us, I would say, to, as leaders to create that context where they feel safe. And, and non-judgment is very a very big part of what we what we do and what we talk about 
about not cutting somebody off because you disagree or you think what they're saying is wrong or bad. Um, it's how we react to people and to help them to feel that safety. And we realize that 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 that, that helps really helps to for others to to open up if if we are non-judgmental thank you what one of the questions i think you know coming to towards the end of our conversation here is is what makes great listening environment i think too many people think listening is the dialogue and I always say to people, listening is before, during, and after a dialogue. So when we think about the environment for listening, we have to think about it before, during, and after, whether that's an individual's meeting together or teams coming together or systems coming together. And I think not enough people think about the environment before listening commences. Um, before could be... 30 seconds before, it could be one hour before, it could be one day before, but not enough of us take the time to be conscious of that preparation. If you take the team meeting as an example for the question about what's a great listening environment, often before the meeting, it's collecting perspectives that won't be represented in the room is one way you can be a really powerful listener. So an example might be you might come into a room, it's a team meeting discussing a project, but the perspective you've taken the time is to listen to other departments before the meeting. You've taken the time to listen to customers or suppliers, regulators, or maybe the media before the meeting and you're conscious enough that you may need to bring that perspective into the dialogue because that perspective may not be represented in the conversation. So the first part of a great listening environment for me is, are you conscious before you even get to the dialogue about the perspectives you're going to bring? And then are you conscious of how you are being as a listener? Are you turning up rushed and frustrated are you bouncing off the wall or are you available to listen because it's not your job to make sense of anything that's being said it's your job to help the speakers make sense of what they're thinking and i think too many people get confused that listening is about you not the counterpart not the speaker and once you have that orientation the final preparation for me is always can I answer this question what would make this a great meeting for the room so not just my perspective not just the speaker's perspective but for everybody in that room so before we even get to the conversation a great listening environment is set up beforehand and when you get into the physicality of the room I'm renowned for making sure the furniture is just as sparse as possible. You know, furniture often creates physical barriers to listening and to communication. And in modern times, video conferencing also creates barriers as well. There's nothing 
um, you know, the very real things like fatigue around video conferences because people don't have their webcam at eye level. You know, people are looking up people's noses or people are looking down on the, on the participants. And that creates some cognitive dissonance for the mind that says, this is not how I've been set up and programmed my whole life. I'm used to looking at people eye to eye. So on video conferences, one of the things you want to do is make sure your webcams as close to eye level as possible. And the other thing you want to do is try and be in active speaker view rather than gallery view or Brady Bunch view and move the speaker's eyes as close as possible to the webcam so you can mimic a real life human eye to eye contact. So before I go into the dialogue, Tom, is there anything you want to explore about a great listening environment before we start? Yeah, I think uh, just ex expanding on this idea of safety, um, I think creating a safe context for people to be heard where I've found, especially as an introvert, if I find that there's a, some kind of a threat in the room, I tend to probably want to shut down uh, whatever the threat might be. It can be, um, it can be, it can, it can, you know, have something to do with this actual setting in the room, but oftentimes it probably had to do with who's leading the meeting if it's if they're truly creating a context where everyone feels as if their voices can be heard and 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 not silenced uh to, i think you know i was thinking of all of us just want to be acknowledged in the room hmm. i think it's up to us those of us leading meetings to make people feel included and acknowledged. Once the leadership's distributed, the productivity of the meeting is quite powerful as well. Hmm. So I think during the meeting, one of the things that too, too many people in meetings are fixated on what is being said rather than how it's being said. So one of the big piece of feedback I get consistently for leaders and teams that I work with is these two simple techniques. You need to reserve 10% of the meeting to evaluate how the meeting is going. So at the halfway mark and at the 80% mark, you need to ask a question, how have we been going and how do we need to be for the remainder of the meeting? So that's not about what was discussed, it's about how it was discussed. Because quite often people will just make a simple reflection like, yeah, we're hearing from the same old voices all over again. It's like, okay, so how do we need to be for the balance of this meeting? So that's not the case. And they kind of self-correct for the balance of the meeting. But most leaders do not have agendas that have how questions in them. Now, in a one hour meeting, that is six minutes, three minutes at the 30 minute mark and three minutes at the 45 minute mark. It's not a lot of time, but you see the system performing much better in the second half consistently when it asks those questions. And if it's a one day agenda, you ask that question every hour, 
for six minutes and the system continuously improves and self-corrects until the meeting says without having the evaluation, hey, can we just stop here? Because I think we need to reflect on how we're going. And then the system becomes self-correcting as well. And what it means is people are listening beyond the words and they're listening to how people are interacting rather than what they're saying. So I, I often think not enough time is spent in agendas to discuss how we're going to have the conversation rather than what. And it's easy to do. You just look at the agenda and go, is this about a process or is this about content? And I know from my work, 100% of meeting agendas are content-based. And yet the power of getting everybody in the room to be heard is having a 10%, six minutes in an hour process check to go, how did we go with this dialogue? Mm. I think that's, yeah, you bring up a really good point because we've found even in our, our staff meetings, which are, if our staff members are listening to this, this interview, they're going to laugh about this, that we, we tend to not pack out our agendas heading into a meeting. We just kind of create an open space where, you know, we'll have a couple topics that need to be addressed, but we just like it to be much more free flowing. And it's amazing how we end up in those types of environments accomplishing probably more than we would have if we just had this huge laundry list of responsibilities that we needed to plow through. Hmm. Yep. And we, and we hope that we are giving everyone on the team the opportunity to be heard, to truly be heard and to know what they're experiencing and feeling, struggling with, joyful about. Uh, and we, I think we, so many meetings that we've had, uh, we, we end them after they're over and, and Tom and I may process, you know, how they may have gone, what we thought, what we heard. Uh, we, we often express how, how there was a, a fair amount of vulnerability and openness shared. Hmm. How there, there were people who, who really said some things that, that, that were, were powerful. And that's what we want. Hmm. And we just want help to, you know, hope to create those kinds of environments, those kinds of settings where people can feel safe, comfortable, non-judged, not judged, and, and know that their, their, voice, their voice means something. That it's significant. The question I regularly get asked is, well, that's all good and dandy, Oscar, but the, the, there has to come a point where you need to stop listening to. What do you say to those people? Well, can we throw that back at you? We like to throw that back at you. Well, what do you say to that, to that question? Well, well, I often ask them, is that question coming from them or is that about the room? So I often ask them to make an evaluation is listening or stopping listening about them and where they're coming from, or is it about where the room is at? Because if the theme that is being discussed and the listening taking place is repetitive, 
yeah, then it's a really good time to stop listening and ask people to notice the pattern. But again, that comes to asking process how questions mm -hmm. and um, how we're we going making progress on this topic. For me, I think sometimes the role of listener is a role of uh, an editor, like a book editor. It's, it's your job to shorten things, not to lengthen things. And, I, and I'm just curious to play with that tension with, with you two and kind of go, at what point do you get the room to stop listening? I don't know. It's kind of an organic and, and I hope intuitive thing. Um, I think we try to pay attention to when people are lagging, you know, when, when the conversation is lagging, when the, the energy seems to be dissipating and uh, diminishing, then we, then we might know, okay, maybe we've covered this, that, that this, the, the people are ready to move on to, to, to something else, uh, to some action, to, you know, some, you know, ideas, uh, to do something about what we've talked about. Um, that's one, that, that's one thing I think, you know, we do again, you pay attention to body language Are people, are they squirming? Are they looking away? Are they looking at the, you know, we, we've, we've done all of our meetings uh, since, since March with, with our team uh, virtually, just like we are with you right now. This is, this is how our meetings have taken place. And so we have to pay even extra, you know, attention to, to see what, how people are reacting. You've done a great job of that. You've noticed our reactions. And when we, we've been nodding or when we've uh, maybe you could tell when one of us has wanted to say some, perhaps wanted to say something. Or, uh, so you're very observant. And I think we, we try to do that too, to, to, to read the body language, to read the, um, to know, that, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time now to, to, to do something else. I think also I'd add that you create an allotted time for, uh, for a meeting because uh, you know, you want to show people value with their time that they've set aside as well. So if a meeting just continues to go on and on and on um, you know, I've been in, we probably all have been in staff meetings at other organizations that we've worked with where you get to an allotted time and the time comes and goes and it just, the meeting just continues to go on and on and you feel almost devalued because you have, you do have other commitments and other priorities. So I think uh, staying true to your commitments. I got back to that example with Elaine though, is like the commitment was to noon you know, and we went to 12.35 and uh, we could have stopped listening. If I would have asked the room, should we stop now? It's like eh, 12 out of 13 would have said yes. So uh, I, th these, are, these are the delicious tensions I play with around when, when to stop listening because, yeah, sometimes it's something you see, it's something you sense. And it's something you need the room to speak up about as well, because quite often uh, I'll kind of go, you know, how much more do we want to hear on this topic? And the room will kind of evaluate itself to a point in time. But I guess when it comes down to one-to-one -one dialogue, um, that kind of becomes a very different 
kind of point of evaluation as well. I'd be curious if you've got a few more minutes to just ask a few questions about what you notice about how I was listening to you today. Uh, you you were great, uh, as I as I had mentioned in, in an answer a little a little bit earlier that you were very attuned to our body language and uh, to our, when we're looking quizzical, are you uh, are looking like we wanted to say something, are pondering, you know, deeply, you, uh, you were very good at that. We appreciate that. Yeah, we just, we love to have dialogue. I mean, it's literally one of our, talk about what gets us up in the morning is to have rich conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you asked us some really difficult questions today and we love that. And I probably, probably fell short, far short on a lot of my responses today, but um, you know, we, we just, we love when people ask us questions, honestly, we like to be heard ourselves. And, and we also appreciate the, the fact that you were comfortable talking about the tensions between you know the, the you know in listening uh, and and the cultural the cultural intentions that uh, that sometimes devalue listening or want to you know want to shorten listening uh, because it's not valued as much um, and, and 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 asking questions that that cause us to to reflect on those tensions and how we can continually grow in meeting those tensions so appreciate that so much i just we could talk all day just honestly about that topic of what's the cost of listening of not listening Mm -hmm. i have been meaning to share a blog i know michael's read this before but i i oftentimes will wake up in the middle of the night and that's when i sometimes have my uh my best writing comes to me and um i was writing about this idea and it was a fictional character I created about how he was not being heard in an organization that he worked for and all these ideas that he had that turns out that they somebody else developed his idea because he was never being heard so I use the example of like the uh the the tv screens that are now in air airplanes on the back of every seat and and I was thinking of myself, like I had that idea, you know, we could probably all think of ideas that we've had. Uh, I had that idea like 20 years ago, mm. you know, and I and I'm not going to take credit for that idea. Somebody probably developed it a long time, time way before I ever thought of it. But it's that it's that uh, keeping that thought in mind, being aware that if, if we don't give people the space for their eyes, ideas to be heard, there is an immense cost potentially. Mm-hmm. And last question is if we did this all over again, what would we do differently that would be more helpful for the audience? I think we'd have to ask them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that even I bet maybe I'm wrong. It's when I listen to, to podcasts, when I listen to interviewers, um, I I appreciate very much the dialogue back and forth, the, the give and take. The, that 
and and maybe even if we could have done that even sooner. Uh, the first, I think, the first part of the, um, of the, of this this time together, there wasn't quite as much yet of, of dialogue back and forth. But when that began to happen, I don't know. To me, when I listen, the conversations become even more alive when that happens. So. So continuing to foster for us and our, our end to, to really foster and drive home the, the, the point of how much we want this to not be one-sided, us just asking questions and somebody else answering, and that, you know, can, which can be very interesting, but, but it's even more interesting and more human when, when, it's, when it's real give and take. Hmm. Yeah. And for each of you, what's the one idea you're leaving with? Instead of saying you use you, you need you use the name Tom. Well, Tom, what do you think about that? Well, if Tom's a is an introvert. Tom is not going to necessarily answer the. It's going to be uncomfortable, maybe asking the question. But you've rephrased the question now that you've been you've been listening so well. Tom, what are your thoughts? You said something like that, and I I liked that. That there was just a a rephrasing and a I think a, a better way of drawing out. Mm. And eliciting a response from Tom or whomever it was and that. So that's, that's one, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind that, that, um, that I learned I'm taking with me. Thank you. How to ask some questions differently. Mm. Well, I know that we had this in, the questionnaire that we had sent you the other day, just some questions to, to focus our conversation here today, but just this idea of what does not listening cost us? I've been really zeroing, zeroing in on that. And I think I'd love to just ask more individuals and organizations we work with how they would answer that. I mean, literally that's my agenda. So when I, mm. when I walk into a meeting, yeah, I'm like, we're going to have morning tea at this time, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what's the cost of not listening? Do it by yourself. Do it in pairs. Do it in group. Bam. That's the, that creates the dialogue mm. for the rest of the day. And uh, one, one organization is like, they were finished 11 a.m. for an 8.30 start. It's like, we done. We 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 done. We got the essence of what we need to work on, Oscar. We're gonna spend the rest of the day doing that. Awesome value. Go home on a webinar. Uh, go home, <laughs> and off they went into action plan. And and for me, it wasn't that I listened to them. It was that I created this process that they could listen to themselves, and 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 my constant challenge to myself is how do I detach myself so the group can listen to itself as opposed to me thinking about how awesome I'm going to be at listening it's like how do I create the soil how do I put enough water in it how do I put enough of all the good things in there so they can flourish together because I'm going to leave and mm. it's not it's not great that I'm the rock star helping them. They need to be the rock stars helping each other. And that's what I loved about that meeting. Like 
literally two and a half hours with a half an hour break and they they're just like we can go now oscar go away you know mm -hmm. they taking leadership themselves and wanting to run with it that's that's what excites me that's fantastic i think um for our, i wrote I, i've been writing this down as you're what, you, what you're just saying about and we want to share this with our team with our team members those who are leading trainings mm -hmm. for the organization about looking at this and maybe you know asking some certain questions like that i was just thinking about that second example i had given of this one healthcare organization that we had worked with where we actually start off oftentimes we'll carry a mirror with us oscar and we have everyone pass it around the room and they have to take a we always say you have to take a good hard look at yourself here uh if you really want to grow i mean and you want to take this training seriously take a good hard look but uh, in that one situation the managers uh were basically saying to their lower level team members we we already know everything so we we don't need to, to to really invest here we're, we're this is for you uh, as a staff and yeah just things just break down in, in situations like that i'm in fact i'm about to hop on a call with a guy who who he act, actually had worked at a church but i think we could all think of examples like this where uh, the leader of this church was a ceo and he acted like a ceo where he you know dominated every every meeting spoke 90 percent of the time and he never felt like his voice was heard and he's an incredibly gifted leader mm. and it's it's just his potential wasn't being uh fulfilled or maximized because the the boss wasn't listening so i think the implications are huge we really valued this and you're one of the one of the um, people we've interviewed one of the few who've actually asked us questions mm -hmm. And we appreciate that. Actually, this is this had we we you we said that we were hoping this would be a dialogue before we started the, recording the interview, and you've you've actually really helped to make that the case, and we appreciate that. So thank you for uh, valuing our thoughts and asking us questions here, because that that. That is really nice, and we appreciate that. So I'll thank probably you. wake up at three o'clock this in the morning thinking about why didn't I answer that question this way or that way? Because there's, <laughs> I, I was not anticipating that today, but it's been nice. Really so thanks for giving us space. Thanks been. for making it safe for us to to respond to your questions. Thanks for listening to me. It's been our joy, and we appreciate it. And you win the prize. For the person we've listened to from the furthest distance away from where we live, <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard to beat this one. So uh, we, we we were so thrilled to to talk with you from Australia, and um, appreciate you getting up so early and being looking so awake and uh, <laughs> energetic at this early hour of the day for you. Yeah. Um, Appreciate that. I think Mauritius might be the answer to your question. Mauritius would be the furthest you'd probably, even further than Australia. Further. Well, we don't know anyone from there yet, so maybe maybe one day. Uh, but thank you so much for Thanks, joining Oscar. with us today. Great. We hope that the rest of you, we hope that this has been a great start to your day and that you will enjoy and be energized by the rest of the day. And yeah, no, that's great. You put, you put gas in my tank for the day. Thanks for listening. Great.
Thank you. Nice to finally meet you, Oscar. Bye-bye. Stay in Bye. Bye. Well, thanks again for tuning in to this episode. We've uh, been so grateful for our ongoing listening support. We know that we have a, a strong, faithful following that have been with us for three seasons now. We're into episode two of season three, and we're just delighted that you've journeyed with us and, and just are eager to learn and connect and build relationships and to be part of this listening movement. We really appreciated Oscar's um, deep listening work, the, what he's written about that, and, and particularly the words listening without words. We just think that that is important, that it's not just what we say and what we hear with our ears, but it's what we see with our eyes, what we, what we feel, uh, being, being you know, in communication and connection with someone. And we really appreciate that because that, when you listen well, you use so many more senses than just the, just the sense of hearing. So we thank Oscar for being a proponent of that and advocating for that because we believe in it too. So it's been a lot of fun and uh, we do appreciate you all listening today. We want to encourage you to um, go on YouTube and watch the Someone to Tell It To 8th Annual Gathering, which uh, we did on November the 7th. And we had some wonderful guests, people who talk about the, well, the problems and the issues that we're dealing with today. Obviously, the, the coronavirus pandemic, the economics, the terrible economic slowdown that the world has, has dealt with, the, the racial reckoning uh, that, that's especially been happening within the United States, and as well as the presidential and nationwide election that the United States has just had. For this country, it's been an incredibly, in some ways, stressful, tense, divisive year. And we talk about that and our guests talk about that in our virtual annual gathering. But, you know, it's not something that's depressing. They, they, they talk and speak with hope and with promise and with um, passion about what can be, what can be for the world to be better. And so we're really excited about that. So once again, thank you for being with us and we look forward to the next time until we listen again.